this is Paul Mackey, One Idget. I've had a few delays getting to this one. Iris marched in the Christmas City of the North Parade with her school's float on Friday, and this was my one weekend in three at work. So I'm just getting this out now, Monday, if all goes well. And I suppose you already know if I made that happen or not. Anyhow, let's get into Rockford Files Season 1, Episode 10, The Dexter Crisis, which originally aired Friday, November 15th, 1974. Uh, I suppose that's pretty close to 49 years ago today. A brief summary. Mr. Charles Dexter hires Rockford to find his young mistress, Susan. Susan's roommate, Louise, tells Jim she has helpful information but won't share unless she can tag along on the investigation. Her information, a license plate number, leads to a second PI who is also apparently tracking Susan. Jim and Louise eventually track Susan to Vegas, where she is staying in a hotel under an assumed name. After Rockford tells Dexter where Susan is, Rockford finds Louise unconscious in Susan's room, which is in disarray, but he is knocked out as well, and we can see that that was Dexter searching the room. It turned out Susan had a bag of $250,000. Dexter was planning to use that money to pay someone off. He offers Jim a 10% reward for return of the money, and in the end, Rockford convinces the girls to return the money, but Dexter refuses to pay the reward, as his business is tanking, and the result of the other PI's work resulted in divorce proceedings from his wife, who hired him. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. I staked out that guy, only it didn't work out like you said. Please call me. Room 234, County Hospital. Who is? Who is Bing Russell? Bing Russell is credited as the Sheriff Lieutenant. Russell was known as an actor and as owner of the minor league Portland Mavericks. As owner of the Mavericks, he shunned corporate sponsorships and carried a larger-than-usual team roster. He often featured players who never quite made it big but couldn't stop playing yet. He also hired professional baseball's first female general manager and another time the first Asian-American general manager. As an actor, he appeared in a large number of movie and TV westerns, notably The Magnificent Seven and Bonanza. He also appeared in shows like The Rifleman, Maverick, Zane Grey Theater, Rawhide, Hazel, The Andy Griffith Show, The Twilight Zone, The Donna Reed Show, The Munsters, Gunsmoke Combat, Branded, the Fugitive, The Monkeys, I Dream of Jeannie, Ironside, Adam-12, The Virginian, Ilias Smith & Jones, The Mod Squad, Mannix, The Rockford Files, The Streets of San Francisco, Emergency, and Little House on the Prairie. He appeared in Disney features like The Million Dollar Duck, Blackbeard's Ghost, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, and The Apple Dumpling Gang. Late in his career, he appeared in films Overboard, Tango and Cash, and the 1979 TV movie Elvis, where he played Elvis's dad with his real-life son, Kurt Russell, playing Elvis. Totally 70s? I'm not sure if I really put enough oomph on that, but it was meant to be a question for the category this time. It really seems like a common thing in this series, with cars getting into relatively minor incidents and the driver having difficulty starting the car again. I was skeptical of this. I found an answer to this online, but I'm not sure if it fits with the cars this period. Online, it says that cars may not start even after a minor accident because the fuel pump inertial switch trips, cutting power to the fuel pump to prevent fires. However, when I investigated further, this was only true from 1981 onwards. 
Try as I might, I've not found a solid answer to why cars might have a fender bender and then have trouble starting. It could be plot convenience, or I might just be having trouble choosing the right search terms. Artifactoids. Lowestoft Porcelain Factory is an English firm that operated from 1757 to 1802. I haven't really worked out how fine its products were exactly. The pieces are rare and have their collectors, but it all leaves a distinct impression of items made more primarily for being used than admired at the time of manufacture. They also made a fair number of pieces to commemorate small events, individual birthdays, and wares for sale at the seaside or other souvenirs. In any case, when pieces are limited and collectible, they can be of value. Wikipedia reports many smaller pieces can be purchased from around 100 pounds, with a couple more specialized pieces taking between 20 and 30,000 pounds at auction. I searched the term Lowestoft plate and found a pretty large number of plates from other manufacturers in the style of Lowestoft for relatively cheap, and a pair of presumably authentic ones for $285 on eBay, marked down to $226.50 on sale. What worked? I enjoyed that this was an overall a lighter episode. There was still big money in play, but it really didn't seem to be any real life-threatening stakes. The biggest car crash was based on driver inattentiveness instead of any direct malice, and the only gun in play was used to knock people out. The two girls were fun characters and well cast in their roles. I think the writers stopped short from suggesting there was anything between Susan and Jim, but they had chemistry nonetheless. And Louise, the amateur detective, played off Rockford to the right level of annoyance without becoming grating to the audience. What didn't work? I didn't really feel the episode ended as much as petered out. Of course, I'm starting to see that the show is designed that Rockford never gets the big payout at the end. But the last we see of the girls, they're getting a cut of Rockford's non-existent reward. And aside from Rockford dropping a match on a Lowestoft plate... There really isn't a comeuppance for Mr. Dexter. He's not paying a reward, and that's that. All in all, I wouldn't say the events of this episode rise to the titular level of crisis, unless you're talking about Dexter's marriage. So next time, it's Season 1, Episode 11, Caledonia. It's worth a fortune! With exclamation point. One would assume this is a real estate kind of thing, maybe swampland in Florida? Happy hunting! You've been listening to the One Idget's Thoughts On podcast produced by Paul Mackey in association with Nimlas Studios. Any short clips of audio from shows is included under fair use for commentary purposes and copyright for that content remains with its original copyright holders. The theme song is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by his generous permission. One Idget's Thoughts is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. You can find more episodes of this podcast and many other fine podcasts at nimlast.org. You can contact me by emailing idgetcastpodcast at gmail.com or commenting on episodes at nimlast.org. Mr. Nick Angelo better get his damn call soon. They've been paging him all episode.